to show you a quote right here because uh, as we get started tonight, I want you to, to see this. This is by a gal named Ruth Haley Barton. And um, it says, the best gift you have to offer others is your own transforming self. And that is so, so true. We talked about this uh, a week or so ago about, you know, one of God's favorite ways of teaching us is through the lives of others. And so the best gift you have to offer people is your own life being transformed itself. And so tonight, as we're going to be looking uh, some at, at the way of Jesus, what I want us to see is what are some things we can do in our lives? What are some things that, that we can begin to put into practice that will allow us to actually begin to see a transforming self taking place in our own lives? And so I, I want us to take some time to do that. Now, is anybody here biography readers? We have many biography readers. Uh, a few, a few. Well, the rest of you, you're missing out. Um, okay, God bless you. You need to learn to. I, I love biographies. I mean, biographies are great. Um, I tend to read biographies, and I think many people tend to read biographies of people that we admire or that we're kind of fascinated with in order that, you know, you might get to know them better so that you might emulate things that they do so that you might have the same kind of results or similar results in things they achieve. And so you begin to look at people's lives. You begin to watch them. You begin to look, okay, how did they do that? Why did they do that? When did they do that? And then you can begin to put those into practice. And I would submit to you that the four Gospels written about Jesus are really four biographies. And that was really, in large part, part of the purpose of those when they were written. Yet very few of us read the Gospels anymore, like their biographies, like the very thing they are. And that, that, that would enable us to experience more of the life that Christ offers us. So when Jesus says, come, follow me, another way of saying that would be, come and pay attention to the details of my life. Come and pay attention to the details of my life. And what I would submit to you is this. When you look at Jesus's life, part of what you discover is that he modeled some practices for us that if we will learn to incorporate them into our own lives, it will allow us to experience the life that he has for us. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, you know, Neil, um, thank you. I'd like to do that, but I have a life, and I'm busy, and I got stuff to do. And I understand that. Here's what I also understand. If you do not begin to incorporate these into the rhythms of your life, you will never experience the life that God has for you. You may experience part of it. You may experience a taste of it, but you'll never experience the life God has for you if you don't begin to put this into practice. So there's four areas I want us to look at tonight, four areas that are in the way of Jesus. This doesn't make up everything that's in the way of Jesus. This makes up a large part of it. And so we're going to look at four areas. One is abiding. Second one is sharing life with others. Third one is practically loving others. And the fourth one is remembering that God is in charge and working. So let me run those by you again for the benefit of alignment. Abiding. Second one, sharing life with others. Third, practically loving others. And fourth, remembering that God is in charge and working. Now, how can you take and work those into the rhythms of your life? Because you're busy, right? I mean, you know, you got stuff going on. I mean, good night. 
You've got, I mean, you've got to get a quick 14 tonight, so you'll be ready for class tomorrow. You've got stuff to do. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're busy. So how do you, how do you do that? How can you begin to work those in to the rhythms of your life? Well, I want to give you a real simple plan. And what I think is, if you'll do this, you, you, you won't get it right the first week. You know, you won't get it right the first month. But if you'll just work at it, what you'll find is you can begin to slip this right in and all of a sudden you'll find yourself beginning to get traction in one area and then another area, then another area, and you'll find yourself beginning to hit on all cylinders after a little bit of time. But you've got to begin to work on it. So the simple plan is simply this. I'll just make it simple for you. Four, three, two, one. Four, three, two, one. Okay? It'll be simple. So the first thing is this. Four hours a week. Four hours a week with God. That's where you're going to be really working on abiding. That's where that's going to become part and parcel of your life. Three hours a week eating with others. Be encouraged. All right. Uh, three hours a week eating with others. There you're going to be sharing life. And so doing that. Two hours a week blessing others. There you're looking for ways to practically love others. Then one hour a week praying with others. There you're doing that because you're remembering God is in charge and he is busy working. And so what we're going to do tonight is I want to take and kind of break each one of those down a little bit to understand better, okay, what does that mean? And are we going to cover it fully? Not so much. But what we'll do is we'll, we'll get a little bit of a stab at it so you'll get more of an understanding of this. So first one, four hours a week with God. There you learn to abide. Now, Jesus said this in John 15, 4, 5, and 8. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, the very first practice we want to look at, the very first characteristic, the very first thing in part of the way of Jesus is abiding. But abiding is the catalyst that makes everything else run. If you're not doing this, the others aren't going to work anyway. It's kind of like having a really nice car that has a great paint job. It just doesn't have an engine. It just doesn't work very well. So this is the key, abiding right here. So the word abide, it's a word, it means to remain to dwell, to continue, to endure, to tarry. You know, do you, do you hear that? I mean, there's just a lingering faithfulness that goes along with that. And what he's talking about there, our relationship with Jesus isn't to be a one-time event that occurs at salvation, but it is to be a long and steady walk with him. As one guy stated, it's a long obedience in the same direction. What you want to have is a continued walk with him, one that goes on and on and on. So abiding involves several things. If, you, if you're trying to think about how do you think about abiding, you know, well, it involves, part of it is stepping into a relationship with Christ. Um, part of it is growing and knowing, in knowing and following him. That's part of it. Part of it is beginning to bear the family traits that make the family distinctive in that. So another way of thinking about that, if you want three words that uh, all start with the same letter, um, receiving, relating, reproducing. Receiving, relating, reproducing. So receiving, 
You must step into a relationship with Christ before you can begin to abide in. If you're not, if you're not actually in a relationship, there's nothing to abide in. I mean, you're like abiding in oblivion. You know, you have to actually be in a relationship. And in, in John 1.12, he says, He came into his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So what you see is, you know, we have to receive him. We have to begin to receive him into our life. And once we come into a relationship with God, then we're adopted into his family and we receive our identity from him. In fact, Paul tells us our identity is found in who we are becoming in Christ. Now, I had a friend one time and he was talking about, he was taking trips with his daughter and he, he said one time, he goes, yeah, it was great. He, was, he goes, I was showing her how to get up in the morning. And I thought, do you need help with that? I mean, like, you know, you know, like put one leg out of, you know, I said, really? He goes, no, no, no. He goes, don't you know how to get up? And I thought, obviously not. And uh, so he's, he's talking about this. He said, yeah, here's what you do. When you get up, he said, you know, you got to do three things. He goes, first, you stretch. I said, okay. He goes, that kind of gets the muscles going. He goes, that's the physical thing. I said, good. And he said, yeah. He goes, and, and then you smile. He goes, just get your day started off right. I said, okay. He goes, and then you say. You say what? And he goes, you say what's true. You say your identity. And I thought, huh. He goes, every morning, start that way. So when you wake up, you know, you kind of stretch. You know, you kind of get, you know, you get yourself all stretched out. You know, you kind of smile at people. And then you tell yourself, you know what? I am guilty, but not condemned. I am deeply loved by God. And I am in the process of becoming exactly who he said I already am in Christ. Because that is what is true about you identity-wise. And you need to learn that. And you need to, to be able to tell yourself that. What I've found, though, is too often followers of Christ are still looking for an identity. They're still trying to figure out how can they find another identity. How can they find it in status? How can they find it in achievement? How can they find it in popularity? How can they find it in GPA? How can they find it in this or that or 14 other things? And I look at that and I, I thought, you know, a while back I was thinking about that. Why? I mean, God offers you, he goes, here, I am giving you an identity that is unmatched. It is called in Christ. And you're like, yeah, I'll be right back. And we're off trying to figure out another. Why is that? You know why I think it is? We like an identity we can achieve, not one we receive. We want it really to be about us. And see, when it's one that's given to us, that's not about us. It's about him. It's about his grace. It's about his kindness. It's about his offer to us. But we like it to be about us. Yeah, that's even why, honestly, to be quite frankly, that's why some people are drawn to different religions. They're drawn to this thing because, hey, in this one over here, you know, you've got you've to really buffet yourself and do this. And over in this one right here, you've got to really do this and do this and do this. And you've got to be really penitent. You've got to go to this thing and, and confess. And you've got to go over here and do this. And, we, and it's all like, it's all about me. I like it when it's about me. And it's like, no, it's not. 
it's all about the grace of God. And what we find ourselves sometimes is our, our problem with identity sometimes is we really struggle with not having earned grace. And we really struggle with the fact that, you know what, it was unearned and not deserved. And yet God gave it to us. And while we're exceptionally grateful for that in our worst moments, or in our better moments, in our worst moments, we're not. In our worst moments, we really want, we really somehow want to be the ones who, who have achieved. And so that, that doesn't work well. It doesn't go hand in hand. Sometimes what I would give you is this. Um, let me give you let me give you an assignment. You don't have to do this tonight or anything, you know. I, I know you're busy. But you know, sometime look in Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14, and then just go through there and write down what are 10 things that are true about you now that you are in Christ? What are 10 things that are true about you now that you're in Christ? And go, that, that'll, that'll be a, a good thing for you. So the first part of abiding, you know, we need to be receiving. We receive from him a relationship. We receive from him an identity. Then relating. So as we receive this new identity, we want to continue to relate to God. We want to get to know him, find out who he is, find out what he's like, find out what he does, how he acts, find out how much he loves us, find out all the things he's done for us. And so the only way we do that is we continue to relate to him as we get in his word and we read and we go through it. We find out this is how God has acted on our behalf and we, and we can really grow. Then the last thing, reproducing. The more you grow in Christ... The natural byproduct, can't really say that. I get my tang tangled. And so you can't do that. You know, what you'll find is this. The natural byproduct of that is that you begin to bear family resemblances to your father. You begin to remind other people of your heavenly father. Things like, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those begin to become part of your life. And other people look at that and they're like, wow, how did that happen? Well, it's not because of work you did. You don't work for those characteristics. All you do is you simply abide. And as you abide, those are just like natural fruit that begins to produce itself in your life. So abiding four hours a week with God. Now that might look something like 30 minutes a day, six days a week, and then one day you take an hour and really focus in the Gospels on getting to know Jesus. Or that may look like 30 minutes a day, seven days a week in the Scriptures, and then you take another 30 minutes and you simply look at, okay, what has God said about my identity in Him? And you begin more and more to get solidified. What is it to be in Christ? What does that really mean? So looking at that, but four hours a week with God. Secondly, Three hours a week eating with others. Now, you'll enjoy this. Three hours a week eating with others. Here, you practice sharing life. You know, food around a table, that, that brings us together. I mean, that does multiple things. It, it kind of lightens the mood. You know, if you sit down with people and you're kind of like, you know, there's nothing to eat, you're kind of like, all right. But when there's food, you're kind of like, hey, you know, it's all fun, pizza. Uh, you know, uh, you look there. It, it kind of shifts the dynamic. That's why guys like this. Guys like food because... Girls don't care so, as much sometimes. Girls are just going to talk to each other. But guys get there, and when they don't know what to do, they're like, oh, you know. but if you have food, they're like, oh. <laughs> you know, And they start eating. That's so true. That's exactly right. They start eating. Why? Because guys like that. They're like, hey, cool. You know, we have food here. We, we, we can survive. You know, this is a good thing. 
And, you know, um, it strengthens the life and the relationships that you're building. You know, it's a good thing. And so, you know, you want to do this right here. It's um, eating together is where you create memories. Lots of memories are created there. It's a time when you can tell stories about the past, you know, where you can tell older stories to younger people, you know, and you can kind of tell them all the stuff that's going on. It, it's, it's a great time. I mean, as helpful as texting and all of that stuff is today for communication, nothing replaces face-to-face -face communication and conversation and bonding, like just being in person around the table. Huge difference. Yet, studies show that Americans today really don't do that very well. In fact, one study I was looking at said in a, the average American today eats one in five meals from their car. One in five meals from their car. So you figure about three meals a week you're eating in your car. You know, no wonder your cars look the way they do, okay? <laughs> Secondly, one in four Americans eats fast food at least every single day. One in four studies they've done. Second, third one, the majority of American families report eating a single meal together occurs less than five times a week. Now, men and women, what I would assert to you is when that's happening, um, growth in relationships that takes place over that is not happening either. See, long before the followers of Christ ever built cathedrals or in our day theaters and stuff like that, long before that ever happened, followers of Christ gathered in kitchens around tables, and that's how they got together. They had time over tables. In fact, look at this verse right here in Acts 2. 46 and 47, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. One of the main activities of the early church was gathering together and eating together. One of their main activities. Now, we are more than sharing food when we sit together for a meal. We are actually sharing one another's lives. And that's the thing we need to remember. It's more than sharing food. We're sharing one another's lives. And that's something that we can't just let pass by. So you want to do that? You want to grow in this whole thing of sharing life with others? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. It's not that hard. The church in the first three centuries, as it spread around the world and went from like, 120 followers to like, you know, 30 million followers. It went from that for one simple thing. You know, they gathered around a meal. The meal wasn't the add-on. The meal was the central thing that they gathered around. And over and over, that's how they grew and that's how it happened. Henry Nouwen wrote this. And I think it's a quote you'd love to hear. He says, isn't a meal together the most beautiful expression of our desire to be given to each other in our brokenness? the table, the food, the drinks, the words, the stories, are they not the most intimate ways in which we do not only express the desire to give our lives to each other, but also to do this in actuality? When we eat together, we are vulnerable to one another. Eating from the same bread and drinking from the same cup call us to live in unity and peace. A really peaceful and joyful meal together belongs to the greatest moments of life. I think he's right. I think he's right. 
So three hours a week of eating. You think, I can do that. You know, I, mean, yeah. I don't know about working those other things in, but I can get that food in there, yeah. I mean, so I mean, you think it's only like three out of 21 meals, if you're a girl, uh, three out of like 28 or nine, if you're a guy. So three meals is all we're talking about here. Three meals a week. So choose one with a person that's in ministry. Choose a second with someone that's not. Third, all skate. Anything you want, you can go any way you want there. But, you know, three meals a day, three different people, you figure it out, put that together. Begin to share life together. The third thing, two hours a week blessing others. Two hours a week blessing others. Now, here, you practically learn how to love other people. You practically learn how to love other people. Now, that could take several forms. That could come in the form of sharing words of affirmation. Uh, that could come in the form of acts of kindness and, and you doing kind things for others. That could come in the form of looking for ways to serve someone or possibly providing something that they really need, that's something that's really a necessity, meets a need in their life. Now, how many of you, um, if I were to ask, how many of you think, I have gotten way too much of those this week. Honestly, I'm just over the top. No, no, really. I mean, you don't have to be embarrassed. Just someone has just over-served, over-encouraged, over-given, over-worn you out. Yeah, not many, huh? You know what? We're in no danger of wearing anybody out with this, okay? This needs to occur regularly. This is part of what ought to happen. It's part of sharing the way of Jesus. This is what he did as a natural pattern of life and it's something that we need to begin to do as well. So we need to step into this. Jesus said this in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one for another. With that one command in John 13, Jesus set into motion a movement that was going to reshape the world. I mean, it totally began to change everything about the world. Now, today, we've kind of equated love with something that's kind of, you know, sappy and feeling-oriented and stuff. That, that's not the love that they talk about in the New Testament. What they talk about there is you will the good of another ahead of yourself. You will the good of another ahead of yourself. If you want a picture of that, it's like being parents. Okay, now you'll have to trust me on this as most of you haven't been parents. But what you'll find is this. You'll go home and be thankful once you are. Once you are parents, you will be calling your parents going, dear God, I never realized all you did. I'm so sorry. Let me thank you. You know, because I guarantee you, parents do this every single day. Like they get up, you know, and they're thinking, I just want to eat a meal in silence. But no, they have children. And so, you know what they decide? Organized chaos. It's okay, you know. Why? Because they love their kids. So they choose to put their interest ahead of their own. Or they have something they're really excited about doing. We're going to go do this. And then their kids get sick and they think, mm, maybe next year. Why? Well, because they put the interest of the kids ahead of their own. Or, you know, the kid is 
doing something they shouldn't again and they know they need to get up and correct them but they think I just want to sit here and rest but they get up and they go over there and they spend the time to correct them now why did they do that because they love to hit their kids no that's not it it's because they want to put the interest of their kids ahead of their own when you begin to love other people in a way that Jesus talked about when Jesus said, you are to love them as I have loved you. Part of what that's going to mean for us is we begin to love people in a way where we will their interest and we will their good, even ahead of our own many, many times. Now, Paul, when he's fleshing out for the early believers what Christ had modeled for them before, he gives an even bigger idea he gives a picture of how to practically love people and he says some of these things he says things like this um submit to one another forgive one another encourage one another restore one another accept one another care for one another carry one another's burdens bear with one another now, I don't know about you, but I can find myself fairly thirsty for many of those things on that list every single week. And you know what? I would suspect that you're very little different. Those are the things that we're to do as we practically love one another. Practically love one another. The first century followers of Christ as they lived out those experiences, I mean, it was noticeable to them and it began to be noticeable to the world around them. It was transforming their lives. Their lives were actually becoming more like Christ. And Christians in the first century made sure that these one another practices worked their way into their weekly rhythms. They made sure. They didn't say, well, I'd like to, but I got a test. Otherwise, I'd really be on this. Or, you know, I'd really do this, except, you know, I only got about seven hours last night, and I really need some more rest. Or, you know, well, I would do this, except, do you realize I'm taking 18 units? God forbid, you know. Guess what? You'll get 40 units at the bare minimum when you get out. And it's called a job every week. If you can't do it now, you won't be able to do it then. Work these things into the rhythms of your week. What you'll find is it's just two hours. Two hours blessing others. Again, that could take the form of sharing words that affirm. It could take the form of acts of kindness, serving or providing something that's needed. But look to do that for three people. Not two hours each. Some of you were worried a little bit. That's six hours. No, I know. No, just divide it up. It's okay. Two hours total. Look to do it for three people. One person in the ministry. One person out of the ministry. Third, all skate. Anything you want. You can just do it. So work on that. Lastly, one hour a week praying in a small group. Now, one thing that was a hallmark of the life of Jesus was his prayer life. In fact, the disciples noticed such a difference in the way he prayed, 
and in the way they prayed, that even though they'd grown up as good little Jewish boys praying, they had absolutely no idea how to pray like he did. So they would get with him and they'd say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he'd say, okay, okay, we will. What you find is that it's here you remember that God is in charge and he is the one who changes things. He's working. See, this is what drove Jesus to pray so often. He clearly understood those things. So that could be done in a large group. That could be done in a small group. You know, what, what kind of things do you pray for? Well, you pray for God to move in your heart. You pray for God to move in the hearts of others. You pray for God to, to draw people to himself that need to know him. You pray for him to work in the lives of people who've come to know him to really realize how to abide and how to really share life and how to really follow him. You know, you, you pray for those you're shepherding. You pray for those you're reaching out to. You pray for your family. You pray for There's all kinds. We've looked at last week. Good night. When you're sick, pray. When you're happy, pray. When you're sinning, pray. Have others pray for you. you know, pray, 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 and pray. You know, I mean, because that is something that as you begin to build that into your life, it is a habit. You begin to realize God is the one who is in charge. And he really will do things if we pray that he's not going to do if we don't. So, I mean, we really ought to pray. So what I'd like us to do as we wrap up is this. I want you to look at a few verses and I want you to reflect on how God works and why it's good to pray. So let me show you some verses right here. First one, Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman watches over it in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labor. For the Lord gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Or the next one. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, people don't just arbitrarily make decisions to follow Jesus. They can't come to him unless the Father draws them. So one of the things you can be praying is, God, would you draw them? Would you help them to see their need of you? 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Sometimes we go like, boy, I have really helped this person. No, God's really helped that person. He's just chosen to use you a little bit. You know, when God works, we get blisters. And so that's a good thing. You know, so we want to work at that. Jeremiah starts off. Jeremiah says, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. And God answers Jeremiah and says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? And then he follows that up in Jeremiah 33, 3, and he says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. See, so often we're looking there and we think, you know, should I... Should, should I bring this to God? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. You know, there was one woman, she asked this preacher, R.G. Lee, she said, Dr. Lee, should, should I bring even small things to God? And his reply was classic. He said, lady, what do you have that's big to God? I think, yeah. I mean, this is the God who Isaiah chapter 40 says holds all the waters of all the earth in the palm of his hand.
Three-fourths of the earth, by the way, in case you were wondering. All the waters, all the earth, palm of his hand. Nothing's too big for him. Nor is anything too small. So bring it all before him. Lastly, a verse we looked at last week. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. So, one hour praying. One hour praying. That could be one hour. That could be two 30-minute segments. It can be four 15-minute segments. It can be with a smaller group. It can be with a larger group. So, what we're going to do is this. As we close tonight, in just a few moments, not this very moment, but as we close, what we're going to do is this. We're going to take and get you to where you only have 55 minutes left for this week. Be encouraged. Because for five minutes, you're going to get to pray. And for five minutes, you're going to get to find some people that don't look totally scary around you and get with them and just pray for one another and begin to pray, God, would you help us to be synced up with you enough and to be wise enough that we would begin to work these into the rhythms of our life. Because we really would like there to become similarities to where when people see us, they go, you remind me of somebody. Uh, oh, Jesus, that's who it was. Yeah, that's who it was. You know, I knew there was somebody. You know, and we would like that to begin to be true about us. And it can be, but we've got to take the time. Just, you know, you got to answer those questions that, you know, Paul answered. You know, you notice when Paul, as he's on the Damascus Road and all of a sudden the light shines, Paul asks two great questions. Who are you? What do you want me to do? Same two questions we got to answer all the time. Who is Jesus? What does that require of us? And so, you know, you begin to ask those questions. So four areas, abiding, sharing life with others, practically loving others, and remembering that God is in charge and working. Now, developing these rhythms is going to take a little bit of time, so be patient with yourself. But stay after it and begin to work on it. Father, just as you have uh, said to us, as you said through Ruth, the best gift we have to offer others is our own transforming self. So, Father, may we continue to make time to bring ourselves before you and before others. Not, Father, so we can earn anything. Father, there's nothing to earn. You've already earned all of that. It's not about earning. It's about effort. It's about us actually putting in the time to get to know you and really putting in the time to experience the life that you have worked so, so hard to provide for us. So, Father, would you give us the wisdom? Would you give us the understanding about how to do that? Would you help us to stay after it, to have a real heart of endurance? And, Father, would you allow us to see the fruit of that in our own lives? And may you be pleased with that, God. May um, we be the joy to you that you've always been to us. And we pray that in Jesus' name.